0: Welcome to the Suffolk Money Podcast, supported by Kingsfleet Wealth. Uh, today's episode is all about the phenomenon that is Lyston Film Theatre, and in particular, the manager, Wayne Burns. Wayne is well known up and down our county for his uh, many hands in theatre, in amateur dramatics, in pantomime, Uh, and in the promotion and success of Leyston Film Theatre. You'll find from this interview what an interesting guy he is, about his background uh, and his fascination, dare I say obsession, with everything that is film and theatre related, and I think that really does come through in this conversation. Wayne, uh, it's great to have a conversation with you. You look like you're surrounded by, dare I say, chaos.
1: Uh, yes, no, I think that's, a, that's an accurate description. <laughs> it's that time of year uh, where um, it all goes a little bit frantic here because um, we, we insist on producing all our own materials, running our website, um, all our assets are produced in-house as well. So with Christmas deadlines being brought forward uh, and even New Year, Um, We are frantically trying to get programs printed. We have the pantomime program in production. The website, I'm pleased to say, is updated through till the new year now. That's gone out of the way. The the list is getting shorter. Um, But but also in the background, you can probably know we've got pantomime costumes hanging up. Uh, We've got hats all ready for the rehearsal on Sunday for them to try the various uh, costumes. So we can sign that off, get that on the panto rail. Um, Prior to talking to you this morning, I. I had the pleasure of sanding down um, a six-foot television for Jack and the Giant Beanstalk, which is here in January, and I have the, the great pleasure of going back and painting it after we've wrapped up this morning. It's, it's, all, it's all showbiz glamour here.
0: <laughs> you certainly seem to turn your hand to everything.
1: I think you have to. I think if you're, if you're in this sort of environment that is a small independent cinema, you have to be prepared to roll your sleeves up and muck in. And that, that works from sweeping the popcorn up after a busy matinee uh, right through to uh, checking the building when it goes out, a lick of paint here and there, fixing the odd leaking tap. Uh, having said that, you don't do that on your own. You have a splendid team behind you, and I'm blessed with the most remarkable team that any, any cinema could, uh, could have.
0: Your career, if I put it that way, as to how you ended up doing what you're doing, is absolutely astonishing. And it seems to really focus around a fascination with theatre and cinema that maybe not many people have. And I suspect that's at the heart of your dedication.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't consider myself a film buff uh, by a long way. Uh, There's many, I mean, people assume you've watched every film that's ever been released. That's not the point at all. I, I, I really haven't seen that many films. I consider myself a showman. Um, through and through. And I suppose my love of of theatre, of variety, of entertainment, of cinema, all stems back to key moments in my childhood. And if we take those three, as an example, mum and dad would always drag me off to Yarmouth every summer for the traditional day out where you'd walk the long promenade, you'd park up and you'd have to join the queue on Britannia Pier. Uh, Because if you didn't join that queue, you wouldn't get tickets. Uh, for the evening performance, and it was the highlight of the day. We'd obviously had the fish and chips, we go up to the, the fun fair, we do the usual bits, the model village, uh, but the, 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 the main reason we went was to see the show on the edge of the pier. So you'd join a queue which would stretch the length of the pier, and this was in the glory days of Variety, where the, the likes of Cannon and Ball, Jimmy Cricket, the Crankies, the Black and White Minstrels, the Bachelors, the very young Michael Barrymore, all were on the end of the pier, or at the ABC up in the precinct or at the Royalty Theatre. Um, and you would queue up, you would select your seat. If there was any left, you would purchase them. And this was in the days when you have a 5 p.m. performance and a 7.30 or 8 o'clock. And, and they would do the same show for six to eight weeks. Uh, these were the glory days when theatres were, were full and you could do this. Um, and so that was a highlight. And I suppose that was where variety was instilled into me because you would have the first act would be the, the jugglers. You would have the the nice throwers, the dancers, of course, the glamorous dancers, ventriloquist, perhaps a magician, and you'd have all that. And top of the bill in the in the second half, of course. So that's where the variety aspect comes from. Uh, for the entertainment side, Mum and Dad also used to take us off for the traditional holiday camp holiday. Off we go to hose seasons or wherever up in up in Norfolk. Um, and I would I was at the age so I would sit and watch the children's entertainers. And, uh, and I suppose I was slightly, slightly bemused by their antics and decided at a young age, I wanted to be um, a children's entertainer, which is something I did. Um, I was one of England's youngest Punch and Judy men at the age of 15. I was the resident Punch and Judy man on Albra Beach, which is where we were, we were living. Um, and so that sort of ticked another box for me. I also used to sneak in because these were the days when they'd have the risque entertainers on at nine o'clock. So the, the idea was that the kids would be kept in the kids' room while the adults had a bit of quality time together watching something that's not rude, but something a little bit more uh, racy. Um, uh, and I used to sneak in and sit under the tables and watch the ventriloquists and, and all that. Um, and then finally with the film, I think the, th- the thing that... The catalyst, if you like, that pushed me into this world was um, there was an open day at Olver Cinema. And i had been a patron of Ulbra Cinema from a young child. My, my sister took me there to see Snow White when I was four, I believe. And I screamed the place down when The witch arrived. She had to take me out. And then Dad took me there to watch Superman and so on. So as a young teenager, they had an open day. And there was an elderly lady there who, who generally saved the cinema back in the 70s called Letty Gifford. Um, and she greeted us all as we went in. Uh, then the tour progressed to the projection room, uh, which was very much a private area. You know, if, if anyone goes into a projection room, it is very, it's, a, it's a very sacred space that many projectionists won't just let anyone in. Uh, so we had a tour looking at the old equipment by a, a chap who was called Neville Parry. And then during that, Neville would explain the bits and bobs he'd run some film. And then he, he chose me and he said, "No, you can close the curtains. And so of there was a row of buttons in front, one was was open, pause, close. And I got to close those tabs. And as I did, you look at a little porthole and you see the curtains glide towards each other. And I honestly do remember it now. It was the moment that I was bitten by the celluloid bug and I decided I wanted to be a projectionist. So as I left the um, open day at Letty Gifford, it was an old, an elderly lady. She was sort of bent over a little bit. And, uh, and she said, have you enjoyed yourself? And I said, yeah. I said, I want to be a projectionist. And she said, well, why did you come and spend another night in the box with Neville? Well, of course, that was remarkable. So I cycled down there, spent an evening with Neville. And Nev said, uh, now, when the adverts finish, you can press the button and close the curtains. So I was all ready, of course. Uh, and I knew from experience that Kiora was the last advert. And at the end of Kiora, I merrily pressed the button and uh, Telly Savalas popped up selling Picardi I think it was. <laughs> um, and so I was, <laughs> was marched from the projection room, told to bugger off, quite frankly. Um, and I went home in floods of tears. Oh, no. And then, and then Mrs. Gifford phoned me up uh, the day after and said, of course, you're too young anyway to be working in the projection room. Uh, but when you're 18, if you still want to follow that thread, um, give me a call. So I did. And, um, and I went down and Neville was still there, of course. Neville was a remarkable man. He, he'd spent his whole life crafting, a proper showman, show, crafting the art of, of showing 35 millimeter film. And I always remember him opening the door when I was older and just said, oh God, not you again. Um, and we, we had a wonderful relationship. He trained me up. I was trained by the best. And I spent uh, a good few years there at that time. I, I, my, my summers really worked, I was, I was working as a milkman by day and I had to start my, my round about midnight because we had the important Size B contract and if they didn't have their milk for breakfast, you can imagine on site there'd have been a riot and, and I'd lost the job and we'd lost the contract. So wherever I was at a certain time, I had to stop delivering, get to Size also. So I thought it just makes sense for me to start at midnight and then finish on, on the site which is what I used to do. Uh, And they were not, shall I say, the most memorable of days. I I didn't particularly enjoy the job. In fact, I'd go as far as I detested the job. But at 17 years old or 18, whatever I was, the money was good. It was very good. And I was, because I was shifting so much milk, the commission was extremely good as well. Uh, So it it taught me a life lesson that, you know, when when the money's rolling in like this, uh, sit on it, look after it. And that stood me in good stead. Um, but of course, when I'd finished that, I'd then uh, go home, have a couple of hours' kip down on the beach with the Punch and Judy uh, in the afternoon, couple of shows down on the beach. I had a wonderful bottler, as they call them. We used to go around and collect the, the 20 peas off everyone down there. And then from that point, I would then go to the cinema. If I didn't have another hour's kip, I'd go off to the cinema Um, and work there, go home, couple of hours kit, up we get and we start again. I was young, I had the energy, I could do it. Um, And then I'd (laughs) saved up all my holiday and was going to Florida to stay with my my, uh, aunt and uncle for a month. And the day before I left, the manager from the dairy called me in and he said that my outside interests, i.e. my entertainment and my cinema work were conflicting with my dairy duties and that I had to give them up, or he'd have no option but to consider reconsider my employment with Dairy Crest, as it was then. Um, and there was a bit of a standoff, and I stood there and argued that my books were correct, size will be, site so had their milk, my breakfast, and quite frankly, uh, what I did, where my last bottle had been delivered, whether I went gardening, wallpapering, doesn't really matter, um, as long as I'm doing my job to the best of my abilities. And I considered I was. So there, there was a standoff. He was quite adamant they had to go. Uh, I was going to America the following day. So I took my my satchel off from the days where you had the good old brown satchel, uh, undid my my, my snap-top uh, uniform, um, told him to stick his job and, and quit and walked out. Um, came back from Florida a month later thinking, what the hell have I done? Because, you know, you might make a few quid doing Punch and Judy on the beach and, you know, showing films a few nights a week. It's not going to he's not gonna um, pay, pay, the, pay the bills. But I was very fortunate that Letty Gifford had heard about this incident whilst I was away. And I got a call the day I returned, asking me to go and see her. And uh, she took me on full time. And so I then spent another couple of years down there, a couple of two and a half years before there was an advert for an assistant manager four miles down the road at Layston. Um, and I was very much in two minds because I love my job at Alba. I, I, I don't know. There was something about showing a film. The one that springs to mind, although there's many, was, was Home Alone. Um, one Christmas, packed auditorium. And projection room walls are very thick because obviously you've got a lot of noise. So they have to be thick. And there was, there's a piece in the film where Joe Pesci um, breaks through a window, stands on a load of glass baubles. And I could hear the audience laughing the other side of the projection room. It makes you feel that you're doing that. You know, you're entertaining them. And so as much as I enjoyed what I was doing there, I knew I would probably not progress any further than the projection room, Albra being Albra. Um, uh, and so I took the plunge uh, and and crossed over at the age of 22 to become the assistant manager at Layston. That's so, what, what
0: intrigues me is that something that caught you caught the bug at a very, very early age. What age were you when you first visited the cinema when you had that experience of the buttons and the, the curtains? Uh, and I understand it then led you to sort of doing even, you know, getting people other children around in your shed and yeah. you know, reenacting the whole situation.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I was 12 or 13. I'd have certainly been around that, that, uh, that age. And, and of course, when I, when I got the phone call, Letty Gifford said, you, you, you're not old enough. I thought, well, I don't know. I want to be showing films. I want to be doing something. So I crazed mum and dad for a projector for Christmas. Um, but there just wasn't the money in the pot to buy a, a sound projector. So I got a silent Super 8 projector for Christmas, which I was made up about. Um, and a collection of films, which you buy 10 minute reels then. There was a Cary Grant Cary Grant Western, Sylvester and Tweety by Cutting, Batman and Robin as a Spider-Man, something or other. And you, we sort of added to the collection as I saved up. Um, and I did, a, I did indeed transform the garden shed, brick shed, into a cinema, my own cinema, which had a, a curtain track with curtains, which were on strings. So I'd have to pull the two strings at the back to open the curtains. I couldn't close them, but I could certainly open them. There was an old uh, screen, which was basically a white kitchen blind, which was, which was hung uh, behind the um, curtains beneath the shelf. Um, and then I had planks of wood on bricks with some insulation, insulating lagging, on, on top of the planks. Uh, and I, I could quite easily fit, say, eight, 10 children in the, in the shed and show them my, my rare collection of 10-minute cartoons. And they did, they packed in, bless them. They used to come up and I used to go down to Bellings, which was a, a sort of corner shop in Fairfield Road in Old Brown. I used to buy chalk ices down there for 10p and sell it for 20p uh, during the interval. Um, and because it was a silent projector, I had to uh, record all the voices um, and all the all the sound effects and so on on a tape recorder and then I'd play them back and very often it would slightly go out of sync and so on. Uh, but, you know, that, by hook or by crook, I was going to show films and, and, you know, that it, it amused me for a while, put it like that.
0: But That had a bit of everything in it. So there was the performance of the recordings, there was the... Uh, hospitality element that obviously is very important to you now Um, and there was obviously an to maybe making a bit of money as you did it in order to improve what you offered them it's just classic (laughs) entrepreneurism it's wonderful
1: (laughs) well all the ice cream money went to new films
0: that's fantastic that's so so interesting so yeah I'm also amazed that you were juggling all these things once you got to working age um, of getting a few hours sleep in between Punch and Judy performances, film projections and milk delivering. I mean, that is, they were that is that absolutely Punch super. Punch and
1: Judy on Olbra Beach, they were great days. I mean, you if you got a, a, the right day, I used to position my booth at the... Uh, if you're familiar with Olbra, as you go down the <laughs> Church Hill, you get to that crossing. So you've got the... You can go straight ahead to the Moothall Green. So I used mm-hmm. to position my booth on the Moothall Green facing the Yacht Pond. So when people got to the bottom of that hill they saw in front of them, there's a Punch and Judy show. So they, they honestly do, they go and park up and they want to come and see what time the show was. And I used to do 11.30, 2.30 and four o'clock on a Sunday. Um, and the 2.30, the 11.30 was all right. That was always a reasonable crowd. And then I'd go off to the Cross Keys, have a pint, come back and do the uh, 2.30. The 2.30 was the one. And if you got the right day, you could have, gosh, 150 people all crammed round this red and white striped tent with me baking inside, um, absolutely ringing wet. But my God, the noise, and you can hear it in the high street. People used to say, you know, we used to to hear your shows in the high street because there was so much noise and the kids were so enthralled by the antics with the sausages and the crocodile and the policeman and the baby uh, and all that. And he used to throw a lot of local references in, of course. And there was one person who'd bought a rather large property near the the Moot Hall. And they actually wrote a letter of complaint to the town council and said, I've recently moved. And this noise every weekend is driving us nuts. We didn't move here for this. And and the council wrote back and said, well, move then. <laughs> well, it's an
0: interesting point isn't it because obviously Alborough isn't necessarily known for dare I say that type of entertainment um, and all the things that you're interested in really you would need to be you know Grey Yarmouth, Lowestoft, Staffed, in, if you if you like a different type of of seaside resort um, but Albro must on the other hand have been an absolutely wonderful place to grow up
1: I mean, as far as the Punch and Judy goes, you know the Suffolk Coastal, because I had to have permission from them and a license to 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 pitch up and do it, and they wholeheartedly embraced the idea. It was mm. good for the tourism, for all that, and the town council did as well. The town council loved having a local resident Punch and Judy man on on their um, on their mootall green, and and I had many many years. It, it it was great. It was real good fun meeting some lovely people. would very often you know return year after year and they come and have a look at the the Punch and Judy show let's see if he's changed his jokes this year I hadn't and um, but growing up in Olbera was because we were up the the top end we were up the poor end um, uh, where at one time the the houses down the you know the seafront would would have been packed full of working class families it was a fishing environment wasn't it and my dad used to live down there many many years ago But as time rolls on, uh, they call it progress. Um, It was a case that everyone sort of went the other end of town. Um, And, you know, they were council houses. And we had a lot of entertainment in the road because, you know, there was one family who would always have an argument and we'd all stop everything and go and have a look. Um, And then, you know, you you had a mixture of characters um, and and scenarios throughout the various years, uh, along with people who turned sheds into to cinemas. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I had a happy childhood. Uh, there was, uh, I was one of four. I was a mistake. So was my, uh, my eldest brother, Rodney. He was a mistake as well. We call him number one. Um, Graham and, and Bev, number two and three, uh, they, were, they were certainly planned, but I was a mistake, a bit of a surprise. Um, uh, and, and so I wouldn't say I had a terrible childhood, but I was four before I realised my name wasn't Don't Touch. And um, sorry, ter- terrible joke, terrible joke. So, uh, but no, I mean, my childhood was was good. It was fun. Most of them uh, had grown up and left home, so I, I was sort of home alone. Um, and mum and dad were very supportive. Mum probably more than dad. Um, you imagine I take over the the gardener's shed uh, and put a projector on the top of the tumble dryer. Um, and they want to get in there and put something in the tumble, or get to the spare freezer. Um, it's it's all. It must have been a damn inconvenience for them. But I had I had a lot of love and a lot of support. And it, I think it was Mum who always said, you know, he'll show you one day. He'll show you this is not for nothing. He'll show you. Fantastic. And if he's happy, you know, he's he's fine. He's he's happy. And I, I guess, in a sense, I was out of the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, amazing. Uh, we could spend so long uh, investigating the issues relating to your, you know, growing up in Albro and how, how Albro has changed over time as well, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, remarkable stuff. So uh, earlier you were just saying you you got to this point of the time had to come for you to move on from Albro cinema in order to to progress your career in many ways. So Layston came as an opportunity. What was Leicester like in the early stages, and what? When did you go there? What, what? What? When would this have been? What age would you have been?
1: Well, well, I would have, I would have visited Al- up Layston a couple of times, I guess, to, to watch various films. It was always a bit of a pimple on the elephant's bum, as far as cinema goes. Uh, we used to laugh and frown about it when I worked at Ulver. Uh, it was a, it was a flea pit. It was a dive. It was run down, um, and it, it certainly wasn't busy. Um, and so that hence the hesitancy about moving into the great formal divide crossing from Olbera, from a cinema that had uh, lovely projectors, curtains that open and close at the push of a button, as we've clearly identified, uh, masking, um, and everything that, that cinema should have, colored lights, footlights, that would light up the curtains in different colors, and I could go on and on. Uh, so when I made that decision to come to, to Laistin, I just thought at the back of my mind, you can give it a shot, and do you know what? If it doesn't work out, Neville will probably take me back on. Um, and so, before I had my interview with the town council at, in Langston, um, I had the opportunity to come and have a look round the cinema. Um, but it was very much a whistle stop tour with Peter Free, who was the old manager who'd been here for quite a few years. Good, uh, okay, you know, we used to talk like this, Peter he'd be hunched over, you know, and, well, this is, this is the seats, and you'll go down here, and, and so we'd have a wander down the, the ground floor, but I wasn't taken upstairs, and I really want to see the projection room, but there was no way Peter was taking me up there, like I said, it's, it's, it's hallow turf to a projectionist, not just anyone would, would venture upstairs, so I went and had my interview, and 45 minutes later, the town clerk was at my door offering me the job, and I said, well, I just, can I have the weekend to think about it? I was still in two minds. And, and I think I said to my dad, I said, I don't know, what do you think? And my dad didn't really mince his words much. He just simply said, well, you won't get any further down there. He said, if you want to better yourself, this is an opportunity. So I bit the bullet. Uh, and I remember my first day coming in to the, to the film theater, as it was then called and still is. I, I went, ventured upstairs and what greeted me was something out of some old movie scene where everything is derelict. And it, it, I honestly thought, what the hell have I done? Because there was buckets everywhere. And Peter explained that when it rained, the buckets had to come out. Um, there was plaster hanging off the walls. You couldn't slam a door because, you know, the, some of the walls would fall apart. The lino was ripped. Dust! I've never seen dust like it because they have been running on carbon arcs and because that creates a lot of dust i don't think the cleaner would ever ventured upstairs and in the projection room although they had some money from size will be back in the 80s they'd spent that money um on cinema canica projection equipment the best at that time a new dolby sound system uh, which had actually gone out of commission uh, that particular model just as they bought it so that was money well spent wasn't it um and they then refurbished some of the seats in the auditorium and when you walked through there you could see where the money ran out because you would have rows of plush velvet seats and then back to the ripped torn marked uh, all the numbers didn't match on the other ones you know one eight twelve where they <laughs> bent and borrowed seats and oh god so i really thought what the hell have i done here but i suppose in one sense it was good because you were starting from scratch uh, and you really did have to start from scratch but what was was the turning point was as I came in with the local elections there was lots of new shiny councillors came onto the scene as well Um, you also had the formation of the Film Theatre Support Club a group of people who wanted to raise funds to to help the place reach uh, its full potential and although I knew it was going to be a long journey there was that support and by golly that support really did come to fruition over the years. It was a a long old journey, and it took us through to the year 2000 to actually say, right, we can now refurbish the auditorium because we had to stop rain coming in, have it rewired, completely redesign the upstairs, if you like, the interior. And most of this we were doing ourselves because I think one of the hardest days work I did early on was upstairs, everything was lined with tin because of the flammable film the ceiling, the walls, the doors, the benches, the tables, everything. And we had to remove all this steel uh, uh, from the walls. And that was probably one of the most hardest day's work I've ever done because my God, I've never seen so many nails holding up this. uh, And and myself and and, um, Darren, his name was, who was the projectionist at that point, we'd taken him on. Um, Yeah, we we had an, uh, an awful job to turn it round. But so that's how it started really. So that was in the early 90s? Early 90s, yeah, 92 I joined. um, And I I suppose there was, really it was a case, it was a five-year plan. um, And we were hoping for some lottery money, uh, but this was in the late 90s at this point because they'd obviously, with it being um the council owned building the money had been put on the precept you couldn't put all that on a precept in one hit so it had to be Mm -hmm. right what should we do this year and the next year but we were moving forward nonetheless because we were then getting more people visiting the the marketing i I put a lot of efforts into the marketing and and so it was all slowly working towards where we wanted to go and it wasn't going to be a quick fix um and when we went for lottery money we were we were basically told um if you Mm. were to have a a gallery, the foyer was a gallery. Um, perhaps we could find you some money, or perhaps a uh, commission a statue for the foyer. And I said, well, no, I'd rather have new seats. And because um, have you seen our foyer? And uh, and it, it was a no-no because at that point, Alba Cinema had only just had a lottery handout, and the Millennium Dome was sucking the the lottery pot dry. So we came away from there. I wouldn't say we were too despondent certainly disappointed and where are we going now so we had a meeting where the support club myself the council all sat round the table uh, and it was just decided you know that we will do this we will see this through and we'll do as much as we can and the support club went into overdrive uh, the staff went into overdrive the council did what they could as, as well uh, and the result was uh, a transformation in our foyer uh, in our auditorium later in our foyer but when the auditorium was done we saw admissions go from um from here right to here you know they, they literally uh, almost in a matter of weeks the word of mouth was out there that it wasn't the the run down free pit that it once was it was now turning into um a butterfly and uh and was taking flight and mm. so this is you know
0: so when, when was that work done when was the auditorium completely
1: yeah refreshed i came up with a scheme for it in uh, 98 Uh, council cogs turned very slowly that wasn't approved till 99 it's a bit controversial because in the 70s uh, there was a band of volunteers offered to paint murals on the cinema walls um and because it wasn't going to cost the council too much i guess the council said oh good idea Uh, they were awful they were absolutely awful there was a collection of local uh, performers, you had, you had the Beatles up there, Marilyn Monroe, all in beautiful uh, magnolia surroundings. It was it was bright, it was garish, not right for cinema. So when I suggested that we we put nice velour drapes in there and, and covered up all the the murals, there was a bit of controversy over it. I won though, I won the day, um, and. We, we didn't look back, uh, and so I, I guess, I think it was 2000 when we finally had all our seats taken away, refurbished. Came It was a five-week closure. I, I project managed, I oversaw it all, worked to a timeline. Uh, we refurbished the foyer as well, which was quite small still in those days. And, and yeah, we, we, did, uh, we did a splendid job uh, and that gave, I think, confidence then, right, what can we do next? And it started an even bigger journey.
0: So what was different about the um, auditorium when you, when you worked that through? What, what did you particularly have in mind? What were you trying to convey other than improving the, the seats and getting rid of the torn and ripped uh, material? What, what were you trying to achieve?
1: Um, I think it's a catch-22 because, of course, the multiplex was was so huge. In the late 80s, the multiplexes were sweeping in with the likes of Virgin Cinemas and Odin expanding at such a rate. And the thing I wanted to do was to not give it too much of a modern feel, uh, but if you wanted to attract that audience, you had to do something like that. It was a balance of, of the new with the traditional, And so when it came to doing the auditorium, bear in mind, this this place was whacked up very quickly in 1914. It went up in a matter of months. Uh, And they just had uh, plastered walls with wooden panelling, which was handy because you could fix stuff that wooden panelling. You know, they actually thought of us, I think, in 1914. And so when they they redecorate in here, these panels will be handy. So um, we had plenty of fixing points. And to transform it, it was a case of, right, let's put a pelmet either side which we built ourselves, um, have rich velour drapes from the ceiling tucking into the pelmet uh, And let's for want of a better word carpet, although you couldn't because it's flammable. Let's put some nice, luxurious material fireproofed on the bottom of the, the paneling. So we, we boarded across there. Uh, new skirting board, we introduced a new colour theme, we went for a lovely, rich wouldn't say it's pink. It's a sort of deep pinky red, beautiful, very theatrical, along with a nice gold. Uh, they became our house colours. Um, uh, and there was a little bit of um, rejection of those colours to start with until I walked into a meeting one day and said, Oh, but the red is called palladium red, which it wasn't. It was just out of the Dulux catalogue. And because I'd said palladium red, it was, uh, it was embraced and we, we won the day. But now it's the most striking building because we, we carried that theme all the way through. It's outside as the Palladium Red, as we still call it. Um, and it's if anyone wants to find us, they can quite easily. It looks lovely warm and inviting and vibrant. It's great.
0: So we've talked a lot about the structure of the building. And then the, the other issue probably that was a significant expense to you is the projection. Because it sounds like what you inherited needed to be updated in some way.
1: The thing with this place, when you, when you research the history, as I did for my book that I've, I've written and is available from the film theatre, of course, the ideal Christmas gift, um, they always, the, the old directors, when he goes through all the handwritten minutes, and, and lots of them there are too, they always spent the money wisely. When times were good, they invested it in stuff that would last and the sound system that they bought at the end of the Second World War, which quite frankly, the old one must've been absolutely worn out. So they upgraded the projection equipment, the sound system. That sound system was working through till 88 when they had the Dolby system put in. Uh, then they had the cinema equipment, which was the best uh, thirty-five 35mm you could have at the time when the, when the council spent the money that size will be gave them. Uh, but then of course this digital phenomenon came to came to its head. And every cinema in this country and indeed around the world was faced with the stark reality that if you don't invest in this kit, you're going to close, it's going to go. It's the way the the business is headed. So it was was a big panic for me because I thought, you know, we're talking about 70, 75,000 pounds worth of kit. Uh, So what we did, we, we upgraded the sound system earlier. Uh, and we thought we'd more or less got there, and then this digital bombshell was dropped. And so there was a scheme available um, from the BFI where they would loan the money. You, you'd have to stump up, say 10,000 per screen. Uh, they would fund the rest and then you'd pay the rest over in, uh, interest free over a number of years. But the contract that came with it was like a telephone directory, and you'd be signed to say, You'd show a certain amount of foreign film. You'd have to do this, you'd have to do that. Um, And we would be tied in to not having our independent um, film, our logic. So the other option was that the council could get a very low um, government based loan, um, which would be payable over five years. Thankfully, the council had put a little bit of money into the hat every year for the day when we'd have to renew projections. So they had, I think it was, it was something like 20, 25,000 in this pot. The support club withdrew their funds, 10,000. So we had some money there, still even 40-odd thousand to get on this loan, um, but it meant we'd be independent. And if we were going digital, we ought to go 3D as well, so we had that capability and we went full automation because I knew damn well that my my projectionist would be frightened off as I was uh, and would would flee the projection room. and they did. Uh, but by going full automation, it meant that we could save on wages. We wouldn't need a projectionist anymore. Um, and that was a big turning point financially when that happened. But to cut a long story short, the support club stepped up and said, right, well, Get it, put it in, get the loan, and we'll pay it off for you over five years, and they paid it off in four. Wow, amazing, incredible.
0: So you then updated just about everything in uh, respect of your uh, your building, your projection. I suppose it's really important that we then think about what went on inside. So what have you shown? What shows do you have? What are your uh, what's your calendar look like during the course of the year
1: yeah we we show uh, again we're independent we choose what films are on our screen Uh, we select which shows are on our stage and I'm very proud about that because it gives me a chance to to really consider um the success of other shows and films and and some of them they're a safe bet you know you stick Bond on the screen they're going to turn up other films you have to watch carefully, especially award season, because, you know, they all they're all out there marketing the fact that they've got the night, the big Oscar winner. But is it? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. you have to be very careful there. Um, and that really only comes with experience. And I think after 29 years, you get to the point where you have a feel for what's going to take money. It's not necessarily perhaps the best film in the world, but it's about it is brass tax. we're in we're, we're a facility but has to be run like a business and that's how we we've, we've been able to turn a corner uh, pre-covid uh, to get to a, a good balance so we we have of course traditional pantomime we we write we produce i direct i put a frock on every year an actor pratt on stage and very good at it um and we have it's, it's amdram but it's very polished and and it's it's very well supported and always sells out. Uh, we have nowadays, we have a selection because of digital gives you the flexibility. You know, we do satellite broadcasts, we're able to do uh, special special events like Andre Roux. Uh, we can do the ballets, we can do one or two operas. Uh, whereas Albrey is primarily more gauged towards that. There's still an audience here, not a huge audience, but you have to cater for everyone the best you can. Uh, as long as film, you know, films as well, you have to, there's no good sticking a family film on when the kids aren't off. You know, that's your time to stick a matinee in um, or a weekend uh, and, 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 and select your, your product carefully. Same with your shows. We, we don't do, we don't do a lot of big stars. We've had Joe Pasquale here, which was quite hilarious because uh, when he turned up, his his first words to me was,
0: "How the hell did I end up here?"
1: Uh, which I thought was quite a good impression. Um, and and but he was a lovely man, and he, he enjoyed the venue. And we've had Chaz and Dave here. Uh, never got Cannon and Ball here. By God, did I try! I spoke to Tommy and Bobby so many times because harking back to the Britannia Pier days, we've had Jimmy Cricket here. Uh, the Crankies, of course, live in Australia, so I, I couldn't. So I, I tried to get as many names as i could uh some of them were quite charming one or two of them were downright rude and awful uh, but a lot of our shows really are musical based um i.e country shows we have um irish artists come here they love that visiting a lot of tribute shows by tribute i'm not talking kylie um or uh, the spiced girls i'm talking spiced girls let's take me back or um i don't know uh anything that's too poppy, we, we have the Roy Orbisons, the Elvis, the um, we have the, um, who's the one with the ABBA, of course, uh, we've got an excellent Phil Collins tribute show coming up, and they all sell very well. Um, people know really, judging by past experience, that if we're putting on a show and they're spending 15, 20 quid, they're going to get the money's worth. They're going to have a good night out. So we have a good reputation like that. Uh, I think you know the secret to successful programming is trying to cater for all but have a lovely balance.
0: Mm, absolutely. So as we approach pantomime season what's the plans there what what are your dates and uh what what's the show?
1: Yeah, so we're doing we're doing Jack and the Beanstalk, which we were planning to do last year but of course that got shelved so we've ripped it apart we've put in some covid gags here and there. Um and it's it's on here we we again with us being a busy working venue the longer we're shut the more chance there is people will go elsewhere or forget that we're here and so on so we normally show films up until the sunday um before the panto which runs from thursday to sunday only six shows over four days so monday tuesday is normally get in uh, military operation now we, we deal with good people ie sound who, who knows how we work inside out, they just rock up. There's no issues, rock up, set it up, it happens. Scenery is the same as, as you've already heard. We're building props. We like to get to Christmas clothes and we've got everything we need. Um, and then Wednesday is dress rehearsal and away we go. Um, Sunday it finishes, we put it back to rights. We're showing films again Monday. Uh, we use a dance school, a local dance school to add that, that R element. Um, uh, and they really do enhance the show. And there, there's over a hundred little dancers who who take to the stage. Um, and so are you
0: running them between Christmas and New Year? Is that your?
1: No, we do it in I'm January. So you do and I do that. Why we yeah. do it in January yep. is because um, December people are so busy, preoccupied, getting ready for Christmas. January, a Christmas gifts. A lot of people buy panto tickets for Christmas gifts, and secondly, it gives them something to look forward to. When everyone's gone back to work, the school kids are back, it's the weekend after or a couple of weeks after. It's the 13th to the 16th in uh, January this time. Um, So we always do it around about mid-Jan and that seems to, to work so well for us.
0: Very good. Now, how do you then go about selecting on the other side of things, the films that you're going to show? Because if you've got a single screen, and as you say, you, you've sometimes got competing uh, award films or something, you've got to make that judgment call. How, how do you go about that?
1: Yeah, when you're selecting films, obviously in a multiplex or warehouse, as I like to call them, um, they'll have, they'll have a, a film on screen one. And if it's not performing, they can just pick that up if they're showing, if they are contracted for four weeks or two weeks, they can move the screen four with fewer seats, it doesn't matter. With us, we've got this one screen, as you've said. Um, so you, you have to think about how many days can I do this for? And, and these days with the flexibility of digital, whereas when it was a physical 35 millimeter print, it would arrive if you could get it, because if a cinema was holding on to that print, it wouldn't come to you. Um, so it would arrive, you'd book it in for so many days, and then probably that print would be booked into another cinema, so it'd be stripped apart, off it would go. With digital, it can sit on the server, so you can show it for three days, it takes money, you can whack it in for another two a few weeks later, um, or a few days later. Other films you think, now I can get, a, I can get a, a week out of that, but it will play better matinees than it will in the evenings. And so perhaps you can show that as matinee, stick something else over it in the evening. It is possible to show up to four films in a week, Um, you know, adding to that some special content, your your satellite, your your opera, your ballet, and um, you have a a packed programme. And our programmes over the years, in in the last five years, I suppose, as digital has developed further, It's really rammed. Some months we we sit and we marvel at just how much product is on our screen, let alone the stage.
0: So that must have made a massive difference to the finances. And you probably were seeing significant progress on on all of that because as opposed to needing to refurbish, you can maintain and probably a lower level of expense, but get people in and and an increasing number of people. But of course, then March last year, March 2020, everything changed what was what was march 2020 like to you
1: um it was a bit of a nightmare because if we take my personal thoughts for one second i'd worked my guts out along with fine colleagues and industry experts the council the support club we'd worked so hard to turn this place around and reach the point where we were which was where we were holding our own the cinema hadn't costed council taxpayer anything for five years, uh, and I'm not saying that we were making millions, but we were literally we'd have we'd have a, a few thousand left, which we invested into marketing straight away because, again, that's the way I work. It's about reaching new audiences. Uh, and the rug was pulled from underneath us. We were about to investigate the possibility of putting a balcony in the auditorium, which could easily be done. That's something I haven't forgot about. But at the moment it's just not it's just not doable and so we we were on our knees um the staff were furloughed of course i wasn't furloughed and that was a can move because i could still come in run the projection make sure all the circuitry was working the heating was fired up once a week um uh, and just generally keep an eye on the building i had the mother of all clear had the biggest skip you can imagine delivered and i went through the building and used the time wisely but also to prepare all the assets. So when that green light eventually came, we had all the marketing materials to just go wallop. Here we go. We're back. Um, And then, of course, we were slammed down again and again. And when we finally opened in July, uh, there was there was a great sense of relief, I think, because staff had missed the place terribly. Um, I wondered if I'd get all my staff back, but they did. But it it was it was a tough time because we would have we would have um, FaceTime sessions with all the staff um, with a glass of vino and having a laugh and a chat and a catch up. But when you have staff who have been in tears, um, not necessarily about the finance side, but it's how it affected people's mental health and especially mine as well was quite incredible. Um, I got round mine because in the first lockdown I transferred my, transformed my garage into a nine seat cinema. Um, that, was my, that was my lockdown. So I've gone full circle. Uh, and it's <laughs> yeah. it is most beautiful because it's actually got automated curtains open and close and the projector. And you know, it's it's it was my pet project. And then the second time uh, it came around, it was it was about the garden and the house, like everyone else. And the third one really was was put together a community radio station locally, um, which has been of great benefit to the film theater, of course. Um, and Becky, my assistant manager, we, we do a stage and screen show every Friday evening, uh, where we promote, of course, what's happening um, at, at local venues and Layton. Um And so it's you know it's it was it was tough. It was a horrible time, and if it wasn't for the fact that it was council owned, I wonder if we'd be here because it drained the council coffers dry, keeping the place. You know the bills have obviously reduced, but there's still expenses. Um, we had an amazing £10,000 in private donations uh, yes. given, uh, which, which just blew us away. They just kept coming and coming and coming. And we were fortunate to get some money from the, the BFI and um, the arts, uh, which certainly helped. And it got us through. I mean, as there was one time I thought, we're not going to come back from this. It's when you keep opening. So you're investing that money on saying, we're back. And it's money that's just been chucked away because then we're down again. We're back, and away mm. we go again. Um, but I think we've reached a point now where the confidence is such that people are returning. You know, uh, we have a live show this Sunday. It's virtually sold out, uh, which is good. Bond did phenomenal business. Thank God. Uh, how long have we been waiting for that? Um, and there are big films, big shows all around the corner. So I think next year, providing we can stay open, next year should put us in a in a much better place
0: very good so how do you see things developing from here on
1: uh good question ideally would love my balcony um i am exploring options of getting my balcony as we speak uh, next year i've been here 30 years it makes you think okay 30 years is a long while um uh, i would like to see the, the venue developed further. I mean, over the years, if we think what we, we now have, we now have a beautiful auditorium, uh, people can go to our website, they can well, just Google Suffolk's Older Cinema, they'll see what a beautiful venue it is. We've got a, a beautiful large foyer now, we enlarged, we t- took back both shops on either side, most of that work we did ourselves, we, we developed all that, so we can't really do much out there. We bought a plot of land on the side we've got the most glamorous toilets anywhere on the on the side of the building so we can't really do much we've refurbished all backstage so for me it's either a second screen um, on the car park at the back or a balcony but the balcony will always win with me because we've proved that we we can make our one screen our single screen work the balcony obviously full of premier seats is going to pull more revenue in and at the end of the day we come back to the fact it's a facility but it's got to be run like a business mm. um, and as for me there will come a time um, where I shall have to say uh, I've, I've done my bit um, I wouldn't say I want to walk away um, because I have I have talents which can be utilized if they so wish but there will come a time when I'll say you know what it's, it's time for someone to, to take the theatre forward. I've done my bit and, and I will only know that really when when a bit like the bitten by the bug, I will know when I wake up or I come down here one day and I'll just have the realisation that, yeah, it's time and, and I will step aside. And I won't have a problem doing that because it's going to be for, in the best interests of the venue. And, uh, and if they want to retain me in some way, that'll be up to them if they choose not to, then we'll have a clean break.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, those things lie ahead, but certainly you still seem to have the enthusiasm and excitement about everything at the moment.
1: Yeah, it's the people, it's the product, it's the people, it's the customers. We have such lovely core customers who who um, thoroughly adore coming to, to the <laughs> intimacy of the film theatre, watching the film in comfortable surroundings, intimate surroundings, with... Uh, with wonderful sound, crisp projection. And also it's, it's the staff. And I have to say that because two of them are in the office with me now. Um, uh, they, are, they are the most wonderful people and we really are a family. And so I don't think you just, you don't necessarily get that everywhere. I know too many people who um, live for Friday and dread Monday. They get to Friday afternoon and suddenly, oh, it's the weekend, I'm not working, great. Uh, off they go. They get to Sunday afternoon. I've got it back to work tomorrow. And I've never been like that. A uh, few other times when I resent turning in for work because it's so varied and I work with such a, a smashing bunch of people. Uh, and the customers are so nice. We know, we know customers can be awkward and we do get some, uh, but, but the majority of them are all part of our extended family.
0: Yeah, amazing. Well, um, and you, you told me previously that people come from all over come and pay you a visit so we have listeners all over Suffolk and further afield but what's what's the uh, value for them of a trip to Leiston?
1: I, I think I can only sum it up when I when I refer back to the latest Bond film No Time to Die which saw people coming from uh, Ipswich, Norwich, Bungie, um, Essex, uh, all, all over the place because I don't quite know why perhaps they couldn't get into their their warehouse uh, that was showing a film near them um but they would come here and they, they'd be very vocal and say it's our first time here so, Well, welcome to the family Where have you been uh, you know enjoy the show they all get a greeting on the way in and they all you know on the way out thank you good night and you don't get out in the multiplex the multiplex is cold it's dark you just walk through it it's done um and when they would leave they'd say so first time ever we'll we'll definitely be back or we'll come here from now on. And I think that's really where our marketing comes in because over the years, you start local, but then you realise, okay, we need to stretch our catchment further. So we have a strategic campaign that we would run in Halesworth. And now Halesworth are a big bulk of our business. We then extend that a bit further up towards Lowestoft, And we have one or two who come from there out to Bungie, Beckles, Framlingham, uh, I this! Uh, we have people who will quite happily jump in a car from Felixstowe. Woodbridge is an area, of course, we work on as well. But if you actually drew a circle where our core customers, it's anything from Southwold out to Framlingham, uh, round to Woodbridge. And that's, that's a huge catchment that, that we've, we've, we've gone out and found over the years. And we still get people who didn't know we were here or, um, or we we're, we're, were totally unaware that there were cinemas in this area and that they, they have to go to Norwich or Ipswich. And suddenly they discover us, and it's like they, they found this little diamond.
0: Lovely. Lovely. Well, thank you for sparing us your time. Uh, which, I, I realise you're desperate to get back to painting the TV. Um, <laughs> I'm really not. <laughs> so I do apologise that we've held you up on that, but um, it's been really wonderful just finding out a little bit about your background, Wayne, and obviously this amazing work that's been going on building something that you know has come out of nothing almost um, with it, within Leyston and the film theatre.
1: I think what we've got here Colin in, in the Layston Film Theatre which is Suffolk's oldest Cinema is something that is quite unique it's a real gem it's the biggest asset that this town has got and I encourage anyone listening to this who's uh, who's intrigued to know more um, you can google us Suffolk's oldest Cinema you'll find us easy um, or visit the website www.laystonfilmtheatre.co.uk come and see us Tell us that you heard this podcast and uh, and you'll be given an extra special warm welcome.
0: Well, that sounds like uh, an offer too good to miss. So thank you. Thanks for your time telling us all about it. I hope you have a great uh, panto season, good end to the year, and that naturally we all hope that 2022 will be, well, a significant improvement, shall we say, on 2020 and 2021.
1: A pleasure, Colin. Lovely to talk to you.
0: I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Wayne, and I really hope that you enjoyed the conversation that we had. And dare I say that you might find the opportunity? I'm sure, with the enthusiasm that Wayne has of visiting uh, the Lace and Film Theatre. So, thank you for listening to another episode of the Suffolk Money Podcast, supported by Kingsfleet Wealth. I'm eternally grateful to Sally and Kevin Birch who do all the hard work behind the scenes on the recordings and the bookings and also uh, to Joy Day who ensures that our wording is appropriate on our publications please do like and follow this so that you are always provided with the most up-to-date recording and any new episode will be made known to you also please feel free to give us some feedback and if you possibly can give us a five-star rating then it means that other people within Suffolk will soon find this and find the stories from these remarkable people within our county we hope that you'll be able to join us again in our next episode and keep an eye out for that as we come towards the end of this series with a new series starting in the new year. Thanks again for listening and we hope that we'll have you with us again very soon.